Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Laura Froyan, and I'm so glad to welcome you back to another episode of The Balanced Parent. And today we're going to be talking about something that I'm super passionate about and that I think will really help you in understanding a little bit more about why you get triggered with your kids or with your loved ones, like your partner or even your own um, adult parents, um, and what that means for your work in this life as you um, kind of navigate your parenthood. And so the things that we're going to be talking about today um, are about trauma, about the scripts that we hold and how they got formed and how we can heal them and what they have to say about our worthiness and our lovability and, um, and how we go about finally feeling like we are worthy of the unconditional love that we are um, entitled to by the simple virtue of our humanity. And I know that we all, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you believe that to be true of your children. You look at them and you know that they are worthy of being treated with dignity and respect, that their simple personhood, who they are, gives them a divine right to being loved unconditionally. And you love them in that way. And at some point, You lost that truth about yourself, and that's what I want to talk about today, how that happens and how we can go about healing it so that we can be our best selves in this life and our best parents to our kids um, and our best partners to our loved ones. So let's talk a little bit about what a trigger is. A trigger is a signal to us that something needs to be healed. And oftentimes we hear about our kids triggering us and it, um, there's this message out there sometimes that our kids were sent here to us to heal us, to, um, to be the person, the, the, the people who allow us to heal. And I think it's so important for us to be super clear as we talk about these things, because we're going to dig into why our kids trigger us. And um, it, that is an invitation to grow, um, to healing, you know, and to growth. But I think it's also important that we are 100% clear that it is not our kids' job to heal us. Their job is to be kids. It's to be themselves. 
It's to grow up and learn and make mistakes and get messy and find joy and love and connection. Uh, Their job is to be themselves. Their job is not to heal us. But sometimes as a result of being themselves and and, um, as a result of being kids in the course of being kids, They will do things that trigger certain scripts or fears that we have about what or who we need to be in order to be lovable and worthy of love. So I just want to take a little bit of time now to talk about the nature of triggers and trauma and how they form. So your body and your brain store information that you may need to know in order to protect you. It's a protective mechanism, and that's what triggers are. They are stored information that your brain has categorized as important and that we need to know about in order to keep us safe. You see, when we're young, we form what are called internal working models of ourselves and others in the world through our interactions with significant people in our lives, like our primary caregivers and others who have an impact on kind of the people who make us who we are. You see, as babies, we have a biological drive for survival, and as a result, we have behaviors that signal our caregivers and keep them close. Those are called attachment behaviors. And at first, they are instinctual, and they're driven by biology, like crying out when we're hungry, those types of things. But we quickly start to learn what works and what doesn't work to keep our caregivers close and to keep ourselves safe, and we adjust our approach. So that by the time we are just six months old, an outsider can look at how we respond to separation and reunion with our caregivers and know quite a lot about our attachment relationships. And that process of learning keeps going on as we grow and become more aware of ourselves as individuals. We keep seeking information about how to stay safe. And the ultimate thing that keeps you safe to a young child's biology is being loved. And so safe and lovability are inextricably linked in young children. And so as they age, they continue to seek information about what makes them worthy of being loved and begin trying to live up to that so that they don't lose love. And so by the time that we are seven or eight, we have a pretty good idea of what makes a person lovable and worthy, even though we will continue to be gathering information about that as we grow. But we've already learned that certain parts of ourselves, certain personality traits or quirks or tendencies, put us at risk of losing love. We are already carrying wounds and we're already learning to mask ourselves, to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves from that ultimate danger of not being loved and thus not being safe. And we all have these wounds, whether you grew up in an abusive home or just kind of a standard mainstream parenting home or with the most unconditionally loving parents ever, we still all come out of childhood wounded. We can't help it because we were raised by wounded people who were raised by people carrying their own wounds. And these wounds are really about one thing, safety and fear of losing love, because that's the human imperative. Thousands of years of evolution have imprinted in our genetic code that connection equals survival. And to stay connected, you must be lovable. And what's lovable depends on the culture and the family and the place where you're growing up. But the core wounds that we carry are so consistent across cultures because it doesn't really matter what is considered lovable. It's the fear of not being lovable 
that underlies the majority of our parenting and relationship triggers. So let me just give you an example with my own two kids. I have one child who's younger, she's five, and she has always been just super silly. She's just goofy. She can make pretty much anybody laugh um, when she is maybe getting into a little bit of mischief. Um, she knows just how to spin it and kind of turn it, make us all laughing, laugh. And for some people, that would be a trigger. Uh, they would see it as, um, you know, they just would get mad at her for it, for not taking things seriously or whatever. But it doesn't trigger me in the least. And that's because my own silliness as a child was seen as a positive thing about me when I was little. There are so many stories of my parents delighting in my silliness. There are also lots of stories about my stubbornness and strong will and defiance. And while those things were outwardly spoken of as a positive thing, like I heard things, um, I heard my parents say things like being stubborn is a good thing. I also heard unspoken messages that my strong will wasn't okay and that it put me at risk of losing love. Things like don't say no to your mother or stop that right now. Now, of course, my mom, who is amazing, she never meant to imply when she said that, that she would love me any less if I defied her or I didn't do exactly what she wanted. And now as an adult, I'm completely confident in her unconditional love. But a child isn't rational like that. A child has a tendency to misinterpret and misunderstand. So when my older daughter, my stubborn, strong-willed one, when she defies me or says no, it is the child within me who gets triggered. And she is triggered for two reasons. One, she sees herself in my daughter, this little girl inside of me who's got this strong will. Um, she, she sees herself reflected in my daughter, in my strong-willed one. And she feels fear and a little bit of loathing for those parts of herself that have made her difficult or hard to deal with or put her at risk her whole life from her perspective of losing love. And then the second reason is this deep fear that she has that this beautiful child in front of her, my daughter, is also at risk of losing love. And it feels like an emergency. She has to learn right now that she can't show that side of her and still be lovable. It's an it's an emergency because you can't lose love because then you're not safe. And so she, I need to show her right then, or the little girl inside me needs to tell her right then, like, that's not okay. You're going to lose love. You can't be that way. And that's when the words come out of my adult mouth, my mouth, my adult mouth, my mother's words. Stop that right now. Don't say no to your mother. Not out of anger at being defied and not even out of unacceptance of her as she is because I do love her unconditionally and accept her, but out of fear that she too will lose love because I learned a long time ago that defiance puts you at risk of losing love. But here's the thing, that lesson I learned as a child was learned with a child's mind and a child's brain. A child without a fully formed frontal cortex who couldn't make rational decisions and conclusions. It was a mistake. It was a misunderstanding. And I've gone and I've passed that misunderstanding onto my daughter in a moment of unconsciousness. So what's the answer? What do we do? 
we have to start recognizing that our triggers in any relationship, whether it's with our kids or with our partners, they are our brains and bodies way of letting us know that there is an old wound here begging to be healed. That's all triggers are. You see, our brains and bodies have a natural drive towards wholeness and well-being. And so when there is a wound that needs attending to, they draw our attention to it. When it's a physical wound, we get pain signals from our neuroperceptors. When it's an emotional wound, we have triggers. We all know what happens when we ignore a physical injury and push through the pain, right? We hamper our own healing. And pushing through the pain of an emotional wound is just the same. We ignore it. We push it down. We reassure ourselves. That's not true. I know I'm lovable. Um, We deny it. But that does nothing to change those deeply ingrained working models that we learned in childhood. All it does is suppress them. And our brains and our bodies, in their desperation to seek health and wholeness, trigger us. Our wise, beautiful bodies. In fact, All PTSD symptoms can be seen as our brain and body is seeking to make us aware of a lingering wound and finally heal it. That's all a trigger is. It's a call to healing. And we don't heal our wounds by parenting our kids the way we wish we'd been parented. That's projecting. We need to parent our kids in the way that they need to be parented. And that may be completely different than what we needed. You already love your child unconditionally, but if you don't want to pass on another multi-generational misunderstanding about the nature of your love, you must learn to communicate your unconditional love for your child through your actions and your unspoken messages. And you can't do that with those triggers lurking in the background, the little child in you freaking out whenever they see your child do something that may cause them and us to lose love. So if we want to parent from a place of consciousness and really be able to parent the child in front of us, we must work to heal those wounds of the hurting child within us. And we can heal our old wounds in a number of different ways that I want to share with you. No one of these practices is better than the other. And in fact, they all at their core target the same thing, your internal working models of yourself and others. They just go about it in different ways. You can use one on its own or choose a couple that seem to complement each other. You can try it out on your own or work with a therapist or a coach or with a listening partner. Or when my group coaching program, Parenting From Within, opens, you can join us in there. The important thing is, is that you do the work and understand that it is likely something that will never be completely done. That's why these are practices, not just tasks to check off. Okay, so I'm going to share with you five practices that you can start working with to work on healing these wounds and finally releasing these triggers. And I'm going to talk about them kind of in the order of their difficulty and um, kind of DIY, do it yourself, um, like how le- at what level they're open to doing it yourself versus working with people. So the top level, kind of the thing that you can do that's easiest and you can start doing it right now is journaling. So just sitting down and becoming aware of what your triggers are, what wounds are reflected in them, what the scripts are, what are the narratives, what you really think about yourself when you're completely honest. Um, 
journaling is incredibly powerful work. Just becoming aware and writing them down and then re-scripting, writing new things to say in your journal, new affirmations, new ways of looking at things. Um, but really journaling is a wonderful place to, um, engage in the process of becoming aware of the thoughts and scripts and narratives that we have within us. And so the next step, another practice that you can take on is, um, a very simple self-compassion based mindfulness, um, practice. And so it could, that can look in a lot of different, different ways. There are self-compassion journaling, um, things self-compassion guided exercises and guided meditations. Uh, the one that's been most powerful for me is a simple loving kindness meditation. And so that's something that, um, I would love to give to you just my simple loving kindness meditation that I use multiple times a day to bring me back to a place of gentleness and grace, graciousness with myself. Uh, and so you can check that out in the show notes. There's a link where you can download that and get it. And it's just something quick and easy to memorize that you can always carry with you. But taking on a more concerted self-compassion practice is absolutely something that I would recommend you do. There's so much research behind it. And when it's combined with these other things that we're going to be talking about, it increases the effectiveness of these other practices too. So just remember that self-compassion is the perfect complement to any of the other work that you're doing. Okay. And so then the third one is reparenting work and you can just pop reparenting into Google or into Pinterest or even into Instagram, search the reparenting hashtag. There's so many great accounts to follow. There's so much good stuff out there on reparenting, but really what it is, is it's all about becoming aware of that hurting child that's still within you and actively reparenting them in the moment. So when my daughter faces me with her defiance or her strong will or her stubbornness, I parent her in the conscious, respectful way with empathy and connection and compassion that I want, you know, that I'm choosing to parent her with, but I also do it for myself. That little girl inside me who's freaking out, worrying about me losing love and about her losing love, like I turn conscious, compassionate, empathetic responses inward into myself right there. Like sometimes I even visualize myself like popping little me out and holding her while I parent my other child. So soothing that part of myself, that wound that's within me, soothing it so that I can actually deal with my daughter's, you know, strong will in a way that is productive and not just don't say no to your mother. You know, I, I actually have to parent myself in that moment, that little girl inside me, who's freaking out about us all losing love because defiance is dangerous. I have to parent her in order to clearly see my daughter. Otherwise the little one inside me is just getting in the way. So reparenting work, you can read a lot about it, but really it's just doing it over and over again. And extending yourself the same like graciousness and compassion to the, your reparenting work that you do to your own parenting work. Look, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall victim to all those scripts that have been running through your head, um, your whole life. There, there will be times when you don't parent your inner child, um, 
at the same level that you would like to or in the way that they probably needed. Uh, you can repair, you can make mistakes, you can come back and do better next time. Uh, but it's the act of actually doing it that's so important. Okay, so those are the first three. Journaling, um, bringing on self-compassion practices on board. Um, they will take everything you do after that to the next level. So getting that base practice in there is super important. And then the last two things that I wanted to offer you are things that you can do on your own, but often work best with a therapist. So the first is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that cognitive behavioral therapy gets kind of a bad rap in the kind of the emotive world um, because we're, we, it focuses a lot on thoughts and behaviors, but at its core, it's about your feelings. And it's about the like automatic thoughts are, are, are informed by our internal working models of ourselves. So cognitive behavioral therapy encourages you to become aware of your automatic thoughts and then actively work to change what you are thinking, changing those automatic thoughts so that you can change the way you feel. And when you change the way you feel, you'll change the way you act and behave. And that's how change happens in the CBT model. But really what that's about is becoming aware of your internal working models and working to re-script them. So there's, I mean, CBT on the surface seems a little cold and distant, but it is not. It actively targets the attachment relationships and the things that we learned within our um, early attachment or early um, significant caregiving relationships and that built those internal working models that gave us those scripts and narratives. Um, it just kind of comes at it from a different angle, and that angle can be quite a bit more accessible to certain folks who maybe don't see themselves as the kind of the touchy-feely type. They see themselves as more cognitive or rational. Um, CBT can be a really great option for those folks. And then the last one that I wanted to share with you is called internal family systems. Now, there's... Um, there's been, it's grown in popularity uh, recently, which I'm so glad. Um, but the idea of behind internal family systems is that we have a family of parts within us who all have their roles and the things that they say and do. And um, that family of parts within us is often kind of running the show. And we also have a core self, um, the person who's inherently good and lovable and worthy, um, who's calm and makes choices that are aligned with our higher purpose, that self oftentimes is not in leadership in our lives. It's not the one who's running the show. We're often having our other parts, parts with wounds, um, parts with triggers, um, parts with fears about kind of what it takes to be lovable, to be successful, all of those things. Those guys are the ones that are running the show. And internal family systems um, oriented therapy helps you come into self-leadership. It helps you recognize and start to see your family of parts and start kind of parenting or taking kind of ownership for this system of, of parts, this family that you have within you um, so that you aren't having all of your parts. You're a hurting five-year-old inside you running the show. So you can actually be more conscious and aware um, and be um, your compassionate, true self that is within you and always has been within you, has just been um, hidden or sheltered or not trusted to run the show. So that's what IFS is. And you can, you can Google internal family systems and find a certified provider, a therapist. There's also a couple other books. Um, my favorite book on this topic can be really hard to find. It's called You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. Um, I love 
I love that book. Um, it reminds me a lot of the, um, in Frozen 2, the line at the end of um, her song, um, Elsa's song, where she says, you're the one you've been waiting for all of your life. Like, I mean, Frozen 2 has so much to teach us about um, about life in general, but that um, that quote from that song, that line from that song is kind of pretty much everything you need to know about life. So you, your kids are not here to heal you. You're here to heal you. Your partner isn't here to heal you and um, make everything better and complete you. You are the one who's going to heal you and complete yourself. Um, that all has to come from within you. Now, our kids and our partners do shine a light sometimes on us um, on where we have to grow, but it's not their responsibility to grow us. We grow us. We heal us. Um, and I mean, that's at the very core of balanced parenting is taking responsibility for that, of understanding where is my role in this and stepping into the power that comes with that, fully stepping in to your ability to be what you have been searching for, to be a source of compassion and guidance and unconditional love that maybe you've never felt. You don't need to feel that from anyone else. It's your birthright. You already have it. It's already within you. The person you actually need to get that from is you. And you understand how worthy you are of that by doing this work, this work that we've been talking about, recognizing our triggers and working to heal those wounds that are underlying them. That's the pathway to unconditional love. That's the pathway to joy and contentment. And it's the pathway to balance because, you know, if we're thinking about anything that needs to balance on something else, there's that balance point, right? We are the balance point. We're the ones that that keep every you know that are, that we're balancing on. Not everything else. It's us. Um, it's on us to do it. We have to take that responsibility, um, and it's not a burden. It's power. It's exciting. It's it's everything. Um, so I hope that you take this information. I hope that it's lit you up. I hope it's made you feel really curious about yourself, and I hope you dive into it. Um, dive into that work. Wow. Okay. So that was a great episode. It was so much fun to talk with you on this topic that I feel so passionately about. And I really hope that you got a lot out of it. Now, this is one that had a lot in it and you may need to listen to it again. Um, it might also be super interesting to invite your partner to listen to it with you. If you're parenting with a partner and kind of see what they think about it. Because in the next episode, I'm going to be talking about some of this stuff, but from a, like a deeper dive into the partner's perspective on it and looking at why we choose our partners, why we choose the specific person who is going to trigger us so that we can heal. Um, and you're not going to want to miss that episode. And I think that if you come to it um, and listen to it with your partner, um, they've listened to this one first, it'll be a really great starting point for that next episode. Uh, also definitely share it with your friends, share it with your bestie who, you know, is struggling with these triggers too. Um, and you don't, you know, we don't have to do this alone. We can do this together as a community. Um, and we can raise this generation of children who maybe won't have quite so many wounds, um, as they come out of childhood. 
And so today, you know, I gave you these five practices that you can try, but you don't have to do them all today. You can go slow. You can be gentle with yourself too. And just know I'm not perfect at this. It's a process, an ongoing process. And I still get triggered in my parenting and with my partner, but these practices help me make sure that I'm not taking action from a triggered, wounded part of myself, because I know that this healing, this is my work. This is my responsibility. It's the work of my motherhood. And it's absolutely vital to being a more calm, peaceful, and connected partner and parent. When I'm not doing this work, I'm not the mom I want to be. This work lets me be that vision that I had for myself. Um, It lets me put that vision into action. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.